There's something remarkably emotional about 2 Timothy. It's the last book, it seems, Paul would write before he dies for the cause of Jesus. And when you think about that, and you think of the overarching message of 2 Timothy, here it is. Faithfully preserve and pass on the gospel of Christ. What's 2 Timothy about? It is about faithfully preserving and passing on the gospel of Christ. For those people who belong to Jesus, for those of us who are Christians, it would be difficult to find a greater priority. Faithfully preserve and pass on the gospel of Christ. Much like a relay race, the fastest team doesn't always win in a relay race. You see, it's all in the exchange. You may have some of the fastest human beings in the world on your relay team, but only if the baton is passed quickly and successfully do you have a chance to win the race. Much like that idea of a relay race, over time, I'd like for us to think of ourselves and the generations to come and the generations that have preceded ours. Faithfully preserve and pass on the gospel of Christ. Did they? Are we? Will they? Did they, are we, are they, will they? Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2. Because 2 Timothy gives a number of pictures of people who faithfully preserve and pass on the gospel. And I'll quickly go over these because today I want to spend a special amount of time in the passage that Kyle read for us in our scripture reading. A call to remembrance. But let's look at these pictures together. Because they're really all about faithfully preserving and passing on the gospel. The first picture is that of a steward, a manager. It's seen in 2 Timothy chapter 2 verses 1 and 2. And the fact is, we are to be stewards of God's grace. We are to be stewards of God's strength, be strong in the grace that is in our Lord Jesus Christ. We're to manage God's strength faithfully in our lives. Manage His grace faithfully in our lives. Manage His Word, look at verse 2, faithfully in our lives. So much so that future generations will be profoundly influenced by our faithful preservation and proclamation of the gospel. 
Now look at verses 3 and 4. A person who faithfully preserves and proclaims and gets that message out is a good steward. But not only that, they're a good soldier. They're involved in conflict. It's a war out there, Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. Our warfare is spiritual in nature. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 through 6. But it's nonetheless real. A soldier fights. A soldier seeks to honor his commander. And if we would be people who faithfully preserve and pass on the gospel, we must soldier on. When do we... When do we get out of the Lord's army? I guess we get out of the Lord's army when we exchange our army fatigues for robes of white. But until we take our last breath, we are soldiers of Christ. Continue looking at the passage. Look at verse 5. We're athletes. The rigorous discipline, trying to improve and better ourselves. All because we love Jesus, preserving and passing on the gospel involves discipline and practice and effort. Picture number four. Look at verses six and seven. The hard-working farmer. Two words really embody what farming is all about. Working and waiting. Working and waiting. When we talk about faithfully preserving the gospel and passing it on, working and waiting for good things to happen. Sowing seed and waiting. Watering, waiting for God to give the increase. Now look at verses 14 through 17 in the same chapter, 2 Timothy 2. Another picture is given, that of a workman. When you talk about preserving the gospel and passing it on, it's about quality. How we handle God's Word and how we live our lives, it's a matter of quality. Because we love the Lord. Shoddy workmanship in the church, in the pulpit, in our praise to God in song, in any avenue of worship, in any area of our life. We really want to improve because of the great God we love and serve. Workmanship. Now look, if you would, at about verses 19 through 21. The picture number six is that of a vessel. A vessel. A vessel has a couple of primary needs. It's got to be useful and it ought to be clean. 
Are we useful, clean vessels in getting the gospel to the next generation? To the present generation. Useful and clean. Then look, if you will, at especially verses 23 through 26. A servant. To preserve and pass on the baton of faith to the next generation so that it really fits and the race is run and won to the glory of God involves sacrifice and love and service. But if you notice, here in the midst of all these pictures about what it looks like Adam, for Christians to faithfully preserve and pass on the gospel, there's that gap. And the gap is chapter 2, verses 8 through 13. And right in the middle of this chapter, for a reason, there is a call to remembrance. Because you see, we're not simply managers and we're not simply soldiers and we're not simply athletes, not simply farmers. We are people who belong to God. Verse 8 is one of the shortest statements describing the beauty of the gospel you will find anywhere. It consists of four expressions. The first one, remember the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, there's a call to remembrance. It's present tense. It's a command. It's an imperative. Remember the Lord Jesus Christ. Now earlier in this book, go back to chapter 1. Paul would say to Timothy... I remember your tears and your faith. The last time we were together, I remember your tears and your faith. I remember your heart for God and for people, and I remember your faith. Look at 2 Timothy 1 verse 6. He tells Timothy, Timothy, you need to remember to stir up the gift that God's strength and power were given to you, in his case, a miraculous sense, by the laying on of Paul's hands. Remember the Lord. Remember your heart and faith. Remember the source of your strength. Remember your training, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Verses 14 through 17. That from a child you have known the holy scriptures that that are able to make you wise to salvation through faith that is in Christ Jesus. It's the same expression here in 2 Timothy 2.8. Remember the Lord Jesus Christ. Continuous action. Don't forget. Hold on. Then he adds a second expression. Risen from the dead. 
Paul's in prison and he's only going to leave by dying. There will be no release from prison this time. Timothy's going through some difficulties as a child of God, as a preacher of the gospel. Remember the Lord Jesus Christ risen from the dead. The first expression, remember the Lord Jesus Christ, it's about focus. It's about focus. It is about having a clear focus of who you are and what you're about. Remember the Lord Jesus Christ and then, risen from the dead, remember the victory. Remember victory. Remember God's power raising Jesus from the dead. Romans 1 verses 3 and 4. And the same power that would raise Jesus from the dead is the power that is available to give us victory in Christ. Timothy needed to keep that in mind. So do we. Third expression. Risen from the dead, descended from David. You see it? Here's what you need to remember here. Promise and fulfillment. Focus, victory, and power and strength are available in our Lord. Promise and fulfillment. Long ago, God had promised David that someone in his descent, his lineage, would come and bless all a Savior. Jesus, the fulfillment of that promise. God keeps his word. Remember that. Remember the Lord Jesus Christ. Fourth expression, verse 8. Keep looking at it with me. According to my gospel... Not in terms of origin, but in terms of being entrusted with it. The gospel didn't find its origin in Paul, but it certainly came to Paul, and Paul felt that he, had, he was entrusted with the gospel. It was his work his life's ambition to preserve and pass on the gospel, wasn't it? And we are never more like the apostles. There is a sense of succession, even though we're not apostles, that when we preserve and pass on the gospel, we're doing exactly what they did to other generations. What work could be greater and higher and nobler and more beautiful than that? But it will only happen when people take the gospel and they make it their own. My gospel, he says. He's personalizing it. The gospel owns me and I am looking at it as a sacred trust to commit to others. Your success, Jordan, will be determined in years to come when those two have kids and you see what kind of grandparents you are and how they raise their kids. Generations. 
I want to stop and ask you this question. How big of a matter has that been in your life? To faithfully preserve and pass on the gospel. Out here in West Texas, it's easy to get caught up in trying to make some dollars out in the oil field or trying to survive on our highways. But we ought to be concerned about faithfully preserving and passing on the gospel. And being very intentional. Leaders of this church, Terry and Lynn, you're going to have to be more intentional about future leaders of this congregation. As a gospel preacher, I need to be more intentional about preserving and passing on the baton of faith to men who will preach the word. How about you and your family? Your neighbors? Your co-workers? I suspect that even when he was in prison, Paul's fellow inmates heard about Jesus and the gospel, don't you? Look at verses 9 and 10. Because Paul talks about how he is treated as a common criminal. And it's really worse than that. The expression is only found in Luke chapter 22, other than this expression, in 2 Timothy 2, 9 and 10. And it's used of the thieves that were hanging on the cross to the Lord's right and left. They were violent, hardened criminals. That's the idea in Luke 22. And here's the idea. Paul is being treated like a violent, hardened criminal for the sake of the gospel. Suffering. If we want to preserve and faithfully pass on the gospel, we'll deal with times of suffering. We'll have to. And notice what Paul says. He says, I am bound in these chains, but the word of God is not bound. He's fascinated, as he was in Philippians 1, 12 through 18, that the word of God, the gospel progresses, even when servants are enchained. God opens doors and the gospel progresses when we seek to faithfully preserve and pass it on even when we're in chains. He speaks of the church. He speaks of God's people. In the translation Kyle read from, New American Standard, I suspect, it says, chosen In the ESV and a number of other translations, it says elect. God's people are called His chosen and His elect. And that sounds so much like what God thought of in the Old Testament when He thought of Israel. They're my chosen ones. They're my elect. Paul has no problem at all using a term to describe Christians that was at one time used to describe Israel because God's people, Christians today, are His people, His chosen 
his elect, his body. And they have salvation that's in Christ. Now look quickly at 11 through 13. If you want to look at things chronologically, this is the final faithful saying of the letters of 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus. You'll see something like this. This is a trustworthy statement. This is a faithful saying. And whenever you see that in these letters, and it only occurs in these letters, 1st, 2nd Timothy and Titus, when you see it, Steve, it's a get it, got it, good moment, okay? This is something that you can put in bold, that you can underline. It's so extra important. You need to really get this. It is a saying, a statement that consists of four lines. Listen to what he's about to say because he's wanting to grab your attention. This is a faithful saying. This is a trustworthy statement. And it rings. It sounds like a hymn. I don't know if it was or not, but I do know this. The same guy who through the Holy Spirit gave us 1 Corinthians 13 and gave us Romans chapter 8 is really capable of making us sing Praise to God in four statements, four verses. Each first part of the first of those four statements, the first part of those four statements concerns us. But the second part of those four statements, each one concerns God. If we do this, then God this. Notice how it begins. It begins with the past tense. If we have died with Him, we will live with Him. If you mark in your Bibles or you're taking notes, write down the word conversion. Because you see, if we die, died with Him, looking at the point of being raised with Him to walk in newness of life at the point of baptism, Romans 6, verses 1 through 8, being raised in Christ, Colossians 3 and verse 1, you have died you will live. Conversion, discipleship. Following Jesus. Second statement. Pay attention to it. If we what? If we what? If we, second statement, look at it. If we have died, we shall live. If we if we persevere or endure. If the first word to remember was conversion, second word is perseverance, endurance. If we persevere, he that endureth to the end, the same shall be saved. Matthew 10 and verse 22. You got to fight the good fight, finish the course, and keep the faith. 2 Timothy 4, verses 6 through 9. Keep your eye on the passage. 
if we endure present tense. It was past tense at the beginning. If we have died, now it's present tense. If we endure, keep on enduring, we shall reign with him. Revelation 22 and verse 5, and they shall reign forever and ever. Isn't that great? Faithfully preserve and pass on the gospel. And this is so positive. Conversion, endurance, what happens? Living and reigning in Christ. See it? Now let's keep looking at the passage because there's an abrupt change. If we deny Him, that's negative, isn't it? He will deny us. If you were writing key words down that kind of get the idea, the concept across... If the first word was conversion and the second word is endurance or perseverance, the third word is warning. (laughs) If we deny him, he will deny us. Sounds just like what the Lord says. If you confess me, I'll confess you before my heavenly Father. If you deny me, I'll deny you before my Father who's in heaven. Matthew 10, 32 and 33. But now look at that fourth statement. If we are faithless, he abides faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Conversion, perseverance and assurance, endurance... The idea of warning and then catch this. And it's not talking about once saved, always saved. If we are faithless, he abides faithful. He cannot deny himself. The word to jot down is faithfulness. God will be faithful to his plan concerning Jesus and the gospel. All of the promises that he has made will be fulfilled and all the warnings that he has given will come to pass to those who do not come to Jesus through the gospel. That's the idea. Now, if you're a younger person, as Timothy was at that time, and you see these pictures about preserving and passing on the gospel, and you see this great focus in the middle of the chapter on Jesus and what he has accomplished, you're stoked. You're invigorated. You're energized. Because the same God who has made salvation possible in Jesus is the very God who will see you through life and suffering and death so that you can reign all because God keeps His word. 
Isn't that amazing? And that's not just for young people. That's for some of us who are getting mighty close to the end of life's journey. Preserve the gospel and pass it on faithfully to the next generation. There's not enough concern about that. There needs to be more. One comes to Jesus through faith and repentance and baptism. At that point, they are added to his church, part of the elect, the chosen of God. God chose a way in Jesus to save. You better respond to Jesus according to the way God has ordained. And for those of us who are Christians, think about that statement with me. Faithfully preserve the gospel and pass it on to the next generation. Let's say it together faithfully. Faithfully preserve the gospel and pass it on to the next generation. If we can do that, that can make an awful big difference in eternity. Let's stand and sing.